Welcome to the For Fox Sake podcast, by the fans, for the fans. With all the news, views and discussion from two lifelong Leicester City supporters. It's your show, so get in contact, make yourselves heard, what's your opinion? The only Leicester City podcast that's by the fans, for the fans. This is For Fox Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby in For Fox Sake HQ1, although I am actually upstairs in a studio, but it's it's still a different room to uh, normal, which makes no difference at all to anyone. But uh, oh, a nice little setup in front of me. I've got uh, the laptop, etc., and bits and bobs, and uh, hopefully it's soundproof. It's not as echoey as maybe the other room, but you don't really get that on the feedback. So uh, I may be just maybe going a bit more detail than is needed. But uh, but that's why I am. And Rob Hayes, you are in for Fox Eight HQ Two behind enemy lines up in the Sheffield area. Evening, Rob. Good evening. I think it's interesting for people to hear a, a little bit about the behind the scenes of the For Fox Sake podcast uh, recordings. We always said we'd do a video one one day, but uh, we very, very swiftly moved away from that idea, didn't we? Because nobody really wants to listen to us, let alone look at us. So my view, I'm in, I'm on the um, in the converted loft room, which is currently leaking because the rain in Sheffield is horrific. Uh, and in the distance, I've got the shining beacon that is Asda. Lovely, lovely. Well, I do say that no one wants to see the podcast, but uh, if we were to do a uh, a visual podcast, something for YouTube, and it would be recorded so people can listen to it the same way that they are doing now, then this would be the perfect location because I'm looking at a backdrop. If anyone's listened to Drinking With Fear that podcast then uh, season two has started today actually it's just been released season two the first one where we talk about storming area 51 and also typing your own name into Pornhub, which is a weird thing but anyway um the studio that we use for that is actually this room itself so i'm i'm, I'm sitting amongst all the debris from drinking with fear as you can tell by the uh, the title it's uh, you know you have a few beers when you're doing the podcast it's uh, really good listen to that have a look on uh, on your your iTunes your Apple podcast or however you listen to this drinking with fear that's me and a few friends where we just have a few beers and and uh, talk a load of nonsense for basically half an hour it's only a half an hour episode and uh, there's one every week and it's uh, rather funny as some people will say but uh, yeah the first one's come out now anyway whatever but uh, but that's all possibly in the future. We should do, though, definitely. Especially maybe a Christmas one. But uh, And also, I've had a few ideas for future podcasts, which I've texted you, and you've, you've actually been very, very quiet in your response, which I'm taking as maybe a no, because there's... A, <laughs> I don't know why, but we'll talk about that off-air. But uh, a little project that I've had bubbling in my mind for uh, a few months, leading up to the end of the year, because it's the end of the decade and maybe something we could maybe do as, as a special kind of a side project. But we'll uh, we'll keep that under wraps for now, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll maybe uh, release that in the future. But we'll talk about what's been happening actually on the field of play. And uh, we had a small game at Anfield and there was no incident whatsoever. There was no controversial moments. There was no bad tackles, possible diets or penalties, uh, referees' decisions, VAR... Uh, controversy on social media, re- uh, referee, uh, 
basically given a, a, a strange decision that no one could uh, uh, understand why and being called out by his fellow referees, uh, comments by managers, which we highlighted a few weeks previous, uh, media giving coverage to moments of the game which maybe weren't as important as others. None of that's happened. Um, I knew. But... <laughs> <laughs> well, we might as well end the po- <laughs> might as well end the podcast there if none of that happened. Uh, I knew, yeah. I knew that this podcast would end up being like a little bit of therapy for you, Pete. Uh, based on the text messages that we've exchanged in the last forty eight hours um, <laughs> oh, following no. the game at Anfield, I've just thought, you know what? When we sit down and do this podcast. I should charge some kind of therapist's fee because I would imagine they get paid a fair whack per hour and I would imagine that the next 40-odd minutes is going to be largely you having a vent and me chiming in occasionally with a mini vent of my own. I I I, I don't even know really where to start, but I'm sure that for the last two days you've been thinking this through in your mind. I wouldn't even be surprised if you're the kind of person that when he's bottling something up, bullet points it so you can make and address all of your key points when the steam is firing out of your ears. The floor is yours, Mr Selby. In the style of the newly released Joker film, I wipe my current thoughts on the wall in my own blood and I believe them and I sit in front of them and chant their names till whatever I believe either comes true or I make believe. And I am going to go off like we are slightly early by a pretty much an exact month of firework. Because I, on the week of the release of Boaty McBoatface, I am ranty McRankface. I am going to rant for the next 20 minutes if you want any... Um, concise, considered, and possibly more accurate reporting, thought, and a level-based theory of what's going on at football, and especially Leicester City, obviously, then just fast-forward 20 minutes, because I am like a Catherine wheel that has got stuck, and I've just been prodded by the dad of the family, and it's going to go off with a bang, because... I think we were cheated out of a point. Breaking news. But um, I'm going to start by putting my position across. As most loyal for Fox 8 listeners know, we are a very level-headed podcast. Okay, And I have across in no uncertain terms in the last 48 hours or so that people who are not level-headed when it comes to football are blinded by their own colours of spectacles whether it's red blue white black um whatever the home strip of your club choice is then but there is no getting away that Saudi Mane has dived for a penalty okay in my eyes now that alone, I do not hold blame on Saudi Mane because that's the way the modern game is. Do I blame the referee? Yes. Is it VAR's choice to rearrange the decision? No, because 
there was contact made between the boot of Albrighton and Marnie. I'm not blinded by that. I thought match of the day summed the situation up perfectly in both of the contested decisions, the Chowdhury tackle. Uh, to the Chowdhury tackle, I'm going to basically turn around and say, I think the whole situation with what happened with Chowdhury is a complete disgrace and it's a tarnish on Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool Football Club and especially Jurgen Klopp. On this podcast, either last podcast or the one before, we singled out Steve Bruce to say, look, this can't happen. You can't say to one player who's played a very small amount, a handful, you'd say, of first-team appearances for a football club, a young player who has made one tackle in the Euros, which, okay, it was in a Euro championship and he got sent off, but you can't start a narrative of a player being a dangerous player because of a tackle which it was a strong tackle against Richie and by all accounts of a lot of people and independent people who were there in terms of journalists from newspapers and not affiliated with football clubs, it was basically him pulling out of a tackle and got caught in that for two months. But to turn the attention, and this is this is the story for me, it's Klopp putting the attention on the tackle by Chowdhury to take away from the attention on the dive for the penalty. Now, people will listen to that and go, oh, that's just a Leicester point of view, but it has worked. Now, before we go into each situation in detail, the next day... On Sky Sports News, when at work, I'm going to ask you a question now, Rob. When they replayed the game in terms of incident, in terms of interviews with managers, both Klopp, both Brendan Rodgers, interviews with two players, in the space of probably four to five minutes of coverage of the game, how many times did they show Mane going over for the penalty? compared to how many times they showed the tackle from various angles of Chowdhury. I ask you that No, I didn't, I I didn't see it, but I would imagine, um, based on the narrative, you say, as you say, that has been created by Jurgen Klopp, and your distaste when you're asking me that question, I would suggest that it has probably been... One showing of the penalty incident for every three showings of the Chowdhury tackle. Well, you are completely correct when it comes to the amount of times he showed that the uh, the dive, in my opinion, by Mane. I'm going to raise the three to eight in terms of different angles. Eight times in the report. And people don't believe this narrative. And, and, and narrative is a strange word because it's used in a lot of weird ways on social media with a lot of different terms, most of them not associated with politics, etc. And so I'll, I'll try and veer away from that, that word. But people don't believe that a manager saying what Jurgen Klopp has said doesn't have any influence. Oh, God, it does have an influence. One, it's driven what has been reported about the game Two, in my opinion, it's driven the response on social media to Chowdhury, which has been reported by Leicester, the uh, the racist language, etc., which in a, in a completely different topic could be talked about for a long time. But again, it starts from the manager because people associated with the football club, and it happens at Leicester, it happens at every football club, will blindly follow 
what the manager's response is. So the manager needs to have, and this is what we said about Steve Bruce, he needs to be more careful in his language because it can get quite awkward and dangerous in certain places. And it's it's awkward for a manager to talk about a player who he's maybe seen once in the flesh to say he's got a reputation now. And it's happened with Klopp. Klopp's done it to divert away, in my opinion, from the tackle, and it's worked. And unfortunately, on the back of that, something worse has happened. I'm not blaming Klopp for that, but he has to be aware that that's the consequence in the modern age of what he has to say. So, that's my position. If we look at each incident in itself, which everyone's seen, everyone's got an opinion, I think Match of the Day got it bang on. Um, and you know, and everyone knows, I ain't no fan of Shearer. But the way he described Mane moving away from the initial contact, having an extra step and then going over, he was walking away from goal. He was surrounded by players. It's a last-ditch attempt, and the referee's right there. What I don't like is how the referee has then bought the dive. He's bought it. He's bought the twist. He's bought the scream. People will say that Albrighton should have cleared of course he should. He should have kicked it over the small stand at the Anfield Road end for a corner. No no, no doubt about it. But was there contact? Yes. Did he go over when the contact was made? No. Has he taken an extra step and then gone over under his own weights when not at speed? Yes. It's a dive. It's in slow motion compared to most efforts in the Premier League. Most dives, most players going over Christ we've got a centre forward Jamie Vardy who's done it time out of time at pace so we know we know and when I watch replays of when Leicester beat Man U 5-3 in the year that we got promoted and we see Jamie Vardy go over to Silver the more times you look at it it's oh my word you know what I mean but there's no hiding from that 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 is a dive okay that happens in football but the response to Chowdhury's tackle for me is it's a disgrace. He did not catch him with his boot. He didn't catch him with his studs. He didn't catch him with his leg. He caught him with the inner thigh to bring down a player on goal. It's a shame the player has half-twisted his ankle and, in my opinion, would probably play if they were playing on Saturday. So he's not injured. He limped off. But it's not a red card. It's not a reckless, dangerous challenge. It's a tackle, as they said on match of the day again, that happens in every single game, pretty much, in the Premier League. It's just a, a natural tackle that we've seen. And for them, to, for people to go over the top, I, I don't like, again, the way that the, there's, there's this turn on Chowdhury. People have said, oh, people are wound up about Chowdhury. Yes, it might work into our advantage later on in Chowdhury's reputation and people might get scared or put off or might change their formation or the way that they play because Chowdhury's in our team. Fingers crossed that's the time. But unfortunately for me, Klopp's gone down in my estimation. That was that was poor. And the outpouring afterwards, maybe he was slightly naive to that fact, and I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, because it's a slightly new thing with social media. But for him to divert the attention away from a dive, that's what he's going to do. Um, there we go. That's that's my position, you know. It, it, it is a dive. And it's a shame it happened. It happens in football. We move on. Not a problem. The chariot thing, it happens. It, But it's just that the way it's been handled by Liverpool was, was, for me, very poor. 
And also, I mean, online, people are fans of other clubs are going to be this, that, and the other. And, and, and people who listen to this podcast, they know that yourself and myself, we, we do a lot of um, work for Liverpool in terms of their, their fans and their um, their forums and their podcasts, which we've been on many times. And I've had a lot of response, and I'm sorry, 99% of it has been awful. Uh, I don't want to single people out, but Paul Tompkins, who's a very well-respected reporter who works for Liverpool, who's got tens and tens of thousands of followers, a respected journalist, what he's been spouting out after the game was borderline dreadful, I think. And in terms of labelling the Premier League as a racist organisation, in terms of them singling out English players uh, for penalties and basically saying that Spurs have had two penalties at the Anfield, at uh, the cop end rather than Liverpool in the last few years. It's it, nonsense. It's absolute garbage. And in that meantime, the, 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 what I'm getting to is that, is that all this riles up fans to then do what they've done to charity. That's that's the end point. A lot of people listening to this will go, well, yeah, social media is nonsense. Ignore it, Pete. Ignore it. I do, and we do, and we've said many a time, but when... Things have happened to Chowdhury, I'm sure, and I've spoken to a person who knows him personally this evening, who knows him and said, look, he'll brush this off, it's not It's not probably going to get to him personally. But when established journalists and people who are respected throughout football and also their manager start off fans of a club from an incident which in my opinion was very, very meaningless in the whole terms of a, a football match, that's the issue. That is that is my problem. It's what happened after that Chowdhury tackle. Rather than the dive, it's the response from Liverpool and people associated with the club that's got me riled up because they need to take a look at themselves this week and go, hang on, we've made a bad call here. Salah's fine to be playing next week and they've said that today. And we've really gone over the top on a young lad. And unfortunately, there's been a big response to this that's been massively out of order in many ways, shape or form. And we are part of the corporate. We have fanned that fire. And they are members of Liverpool Football Club and also people who are associated close with the club. So that's my rant over. That's me done. And from now on, we will just talk about the football and we'll get your response, obviously, or we'll get your view. But, Rob, but uh, but that's me completely done with that side of thing. I won't mention a single thing to do with the penalty or to do with anything else regarding Chowdhury or the tweets again, because that's me done. Zip. <laughs> you weren't lying when you said 20 minutes. My goodness me. I, I, I felt like we'd... Um left for Fox 8 podcast behind and gone for Pete Selby's monologue. That was, um, you covered a lot of ground in in that uh, in that particular rant, Pete. Um, and I would say on the whole, my viewpoint is very similar. Um, in terms of the penalty, uh, Leicester should never have got themselves in that position in the first place. All Brighton has in the past been guilty of doing something a bit daft in our penalty area in uh, the latter stages of a football match. Um, But you wouldn't have him any other way because it's kind of part of his job to work that hard to get back into 
um, defensive positions, particularly in stoppage time when you're trying to hang on to a one-all draw against the team that have not uh, slipped up at all in the Premier League yet this season. But I also agree that all of that is irrelevant when you take the incident as it's as as it stands as as it actually is by the laws of the game there is contact from all brighton on mané so it he go he goes over later than the contact is initiated yet he performs what i would consider an unnatural movement in order to accentuate the the fall which i really don't like and um i grew up watching leicester in the 90s and i play grassroots football at center back and if anybody when i was growing up watching football or even when i'm playing now went over like that under a challenge like that i would be absolutely fuming and it's kind of a bit of a sad state of affairs, really, that that I'm sitting here thinking, well, that's what it's like in the Premier League these days. And the winning margins are so fine that, that, that you're almost kind of expecting your strikers to do whatever they can to buy themselves an advantage. And in this case, a last-minute penalty to win a game. If Liverpool win the league by two points come the end of the season then Jurgen Klopp will have champagne on ice for Sadio Mane um, because that that particular moment earned them two extra points. It's frustrating from a Leicester point of view. Will those two points be hugely significant? To, uh, will that dropped point, I say dropped point, miss, the point we missed out on be hugely significant to our end of season? Probably not. Um and we move on. I can see why VAR were not allowed to overturn it because it's because there was contact. It's not a clear and obvious error from the referee. So I, I, I agree. I agree with VAR. Yeah. I completely agree. VAR's not there to to be subjective and give somebody else's opinion in contrast to the referees. It's there to say has the referee made a clear and obvious error? No, he hasn't. But what I would say and. I, I don't really agree with it. I just want to sort of put this out there um, for, for people at home to, listening to think about is if that is the case, then should the referee in those situations give nothing and then let VAR make that check as play goes on? Because if the referee didn't give that, then I could not see VAR looking back at that and saying not giving a penalty was a clear and obvious error. I could not see VAR bringing that back to give a penalty. Correct. But, but never, never, never. In one of my one of my famous sayings, never in a million years is that going to be given by VAR. No, over the top of the referee. But I agree with the VAR may should not have rescinded because that's technically by the by the rules of the game, which we all abide by. We have to. That's not what it's there for. Yeah, I'm not sitting here saying that the referee should become much more passive in a game because, you know, if you stop referees from making decisions um, and let people on the video assistant referees make more and more decisions, then you're taking something away from the game. So I'm not, I'm not putting it forward as a, as a theory. I, I just sort of wanted people to explore that thought in their mind if they haven't already because that's what's been going through my mind the last couple of days. Uh, move on. It was 
given, they scored it, we lost the game rather than drew it, whatever. Yep. Um, will we look back at this game in a few weeks' time? Probably not, really. Uh, the second, and I agree with you, more enraging incident, let's say, was Jurgen Klopp's deflection post-match. Now, I want to be completely clear from my point of view and from the podcast's point of view, at no point are we stating that Jurgen Klopp has incited um, racist abuse of Hamza Chowdhury. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is Jurgen Klopp has identified that if all of the talking was about Sadio Mane and the dive post-match and going into the international break because people wouldn't have anything else to talk about, so it would have been dissected over and over and over again, then there would have been points later on in the season where if Mane went down and the referee thought it was a little bit soft and they've been exposed to all of that media hype around this dive in the Leicester game... He probably wouldn't have got. He probably wouldn't get that decision, you know, because referees are only human, and it, they they wouldn't be able to ignore all of the media furore. They'll probably in refereeing um, workshops and training sessions look back at that incident and talk about it um, in more detail. Undoubtedly, so yeah. So Jurgen Klopp is it, it from a Liverpool perspective in many ways been quite clever because if Mane does go down softly later on in the season, he's still more likely to get a penalty than he would have been if all of the headlines were grabbed by his dive this weekend. And I've I've got a lot of respect for managers that are clever enough to try and deflect things away from their players. I think Nigel Pearson did an incredible job of that in our great escape season, but he did it in a different way. He took responsibility on his own shoulders. He... <laughs> no, he did. He soaked up all no, of all of the pressure, all of the. He, he made random, hilarious comments in press conferences, which became the talking point of the press conference, rather than a few difficult questions about certain players or form or confidence. So he was a master at that, and Jurgen Klopp has picked up on something that was maybe bubbling in a few people's minds about Hamza Chowdhury being a little bit overzealous in some tackles, and he's absolutely flown with it to the point where it was a little bit silly watching it because I couldn't believe he was so angry with that tackle. Now, I hope that he's looking back at that today and thinking, all right, I was a bit over the top, but I also hope that he's seen it a few more times and he's actually come to terms with the fact that it is only a yellow card. It is Hamza Chowdhury thinking, right, Salah's dangerous. Salah's got pace. He's probably passed me. I'm going to trip him up. All right. He's not gone in to hurt him. He's not gone in with excessive force. He's just gone in to stick his leg in the way, trip Salah up, kill the counter-attack, stop the, the, the injection of pace, take a yellow card for the team. It happens, as you said, Pete, so many times pretty much every game in the Premier League season. It's unfortunate that Chowdhury's thigh has caught Salah's trailing leg and hurt his ankle. It is. I don't ever want to see any player get injured, but it is it is not a nasty challenge whatsoever. And I think the the abuse of Chowdhury online after the game, anything Anything related to his heritage, his race, his ethnicity is absolutely abhorrent. I, I, I really, it's one of the, it is the thing in the world that I can't stand the most 
is racism. It has his ethnicity has got absolutely nothing to do with anything. If you want to join the Jurgen Klopp bandwagon and have a pop at Chowdhury on social media and say, yeah, horrible tackle, yeah, red card, whatever, go for it. I just think you're a little bit stupid. But why on earth it has to be it has to be brought down to that by so many people is absolutely disgusting. It makes me so angry. But let's talk about it from a footballing point of view. I hope it doesn't take anything away from Chowdhury's game now. I hope it doesn't sit in the back of his mind because I'm not talking about the race, the racial side of things now. I'm talking about um, Jurgen Klopp sort of singling him out as a bit of a nasty player because Hamza Chowdhury brings an awful lot to this of bite to this Leicester team. He puts himself about on a football pitch in what many would now consider an old-fashioned way. He's strong in the tackle, he's busy, he means everything that he does on a football pitch, and he's only young. So yes, he's mistimed a couple. Yes, he's maybe gone a little bit um got a little bit carried away in a couple of tackles. That's not what happened on Saturday, by the way. But if if he loses that little edge of his game, he loses a huge part of what he offers to Leicester City so I hope that and I'm sure he will because Brendan Rodgers is a very good man manager by all accounts I'm sure he'll put his arm around him and say look you did everything right there you you did what what many would expect you to do you stick to your game and let them talk crap about you to the media and don't pay any attention I really hope that it doesn't impact his confidence on a football pitch because we we need that kind of attitude from him yeah <laughs> I, I i completely agree and and again all the sentiments regarding chowdhury and the messages it's, it's completely ridiculous it's it's you know the, the the people who 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 do this you know wherever they're from um because of twitter and which is the majority of of, of these cases it's it's completely around the world there's no identification of, of, of place or origin and it, it's 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 crazy. It's crazy in the modern age. It's uh, to to a certain. I'm not going to say certain certain era. That's a, that's the wrong words. It's it's just it's it doesn't even enter your head. It's weird. It's it's a it's a it's a very odd and weird thing to say. And hopefully, in the very very near future, not only will it not happen, but also if it does happen in one or two cases, it will get kind of. Yeah, turned away with disdain, as if to say, "Hang on, what are you on about? This is this is a a weird thing from from maybe a while ago or whatever. It's it's it doesn't even enter anyone's heads anymore. It's it's a crazy thing." And I, as I mentioned one time with Chowdhury, is that hopefully this kind of like broadens his shoulders in a weird way, as if to say, "Like, don't worry about the." Uh, comments by the manager in terms of the tackle because that's what we're f- focusing on really it's the tackle um, don't worry about that if you're getting a reputation for that even use that to your advantage in some way let's try and spin this in a in a positive Leicester centric sense why not have that why not have the Hamza's going to get you that kind of thing Yes, the referees are going to maybe look at him more, more more closely, but let's try and trust the referees. And and I agree with your sense with the VAR. Again, my blame completely with the penalty is against the referee because it was his decision. He was on the spot, perfect decision. VAR should they overturn it? No, because there was contact, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you look at it the other way round, it would have been a penalty for Leicester if he went to VAR. But 
it's the referee's decision that was my problem with the penalty and then with a tackle again the referee got it right he booked him and that was fine it was it was the reaction by the managers but if we look at the game overall again we've lost to a late penalty or we lost to a penalty um, away from home, that's two defeats away to Manchester United, which is looking terrible <laughs> by, the, by the week. Uh, but also, we didn't really play very well overall, and yet we've only lost 2-1 to Liverpool. Yes, the goalkeepers made a couple of saves, and they maybe missed a couple of opportunities, but I'd rather put that in the case of they didn't miss, they maybe didn't perform as well in terms of their shot, they snatched it, they scuffed it, rather than miss by missing the goal, etc. And... And there we go. It's, it's it has to be kind of a positive outlook for Leicester. My, my first thought, and and my and and, and a, a friend of mine at work who's an Arsenal fan reminded me today. He goes, he says, for me, it reminds me of when we played Arsenal away when we won the league, where everything kind of went against us. Oh, I didn't like the sending off for Danny Simpson, and we conceded a late goal through Welbeck, and we bounced back. And I kind of get how he means by it. Yes, he's an Arsenal fan, so he's going to use the Arsenal kind of centric way that we were playing them but also I, I do agree with them in a sense and they have to take a lot of credit for the game uh, first of all the fact that Madison wasn't seriously injured the week uh, previous against uh, Tottenham uh, or the week prior to that because they played Newcastle and, and he scored the goal uh, also the impact from Perez as well yes he got het up at the end of the game pushing and shoving don't mind that at all if you got someone like Izzy Perez who's pushing and shoving and wants to get stuck in like that, that for me is a good thing. He's working for the team. He's, you know, kind of he's sticking up for either a teammate because something was said or or he's just putting himself about. Don't mind that at all. And I think a lot of Leicester fans will will look at that incident and go, okay, don't mind that from Perez. And it was a lovely through ball as well for Madison. So nice touch from him. Uh, and the rest of the side uh, uh, was decent. Chilwell had a bit of a rough time at, at left back, and there was a few yellow cards. Uh, Evans was unlucky for the through ball. It was one of them balls that it was just out of reach. It was just a pinpoint accurate ball. Um, and the rest of the side was the rest of the side. Uh, I'll just go to a few comments uh, given online from listeners to the podcast. Uh, David Lusby said, "Crazy decision regarding this is the uh, the penalty." In response to a tweet I put out uh, immediately after the game, uh, why wasn't Mo uh, Salah's blatant shove on Soyuncu not given as a foul prior to then Hamza uh, taking a mount? It's not been mentioned. Yes, it hasn't been mentioned, and uh, it's, it's it's a difficult incident because the camera at the time was, it, in my point of view, was actually quite close on those two. So I, you don't know how Soyuncu was running towards. Salah or whether Salah whether it was a real push or a shoulder barge etc or just using his weight I don't know it was if 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 I had a camera angle when it was further back it might be a bit more obvious but uh, it's awkward and also I don't like to be the person who goes well Soyuncu's absolutely rock hard solid so it has to have been a foul to knock him over because the first time that happens the opposite way round for a Leicester player like Jamie Vardy for example against the big centre half who he knocks over the argument could be flipped around. It's, it's it's an awkward one, but I agree with him in one sense. It could have easily been given a, a free kick, but it's quite hard to see on the on the replays because the camera was so close and you don't you don't get a better view. And then I asked, um, what are your thoughts regarding the game overall? Uh, Anthony Dickens, our aunt, he says uh, Vardy has won lots of penalties uh, for Leicester before, but uh, Marnie went down softer. 
than Mr. Whippy in the middle of a heat wave, which I completely agree. And I've mentioned about Vardy against Manchester United, etc. And Richard Enriquez, who actually um, he sent a message before I asked for anyone's opinion. Uh, he's on the ball, owed Richard is, and he says, uh, basically, not afraid to be daunted also by the top six. This was a message that we put out previously. Uh, next week will be much as a test for Liverpool as it will be for us. And he says, like I said, uh, we've been more positive. Um, had we been more positive, sorry, we could have gotten at least a point. Having said that, we were a real test for Liverpool, but onwards and upwards for Leicester. I think that's completely accurate, and that's pretty much the response that I'd like to, to go forward. You know, could we have taken the game to Liverpool more? It's it's really awkward. You'd say looking at Man United, definitely. But for Liverpool in that game, you have to hang on because they're such a great side, and especially the forward three. Could we have maybe gone forward more later on? But... We were drawing in injury time. What more do we want from the game? Yes, we maybe could have gone for the win, but we were drawing after 94 minutes. So I, I do agree with Richard. Maybe when we go to these clubs, we maybe should be more on the front foot. But I think at Liverpool and maybe at Man City, you have to maybe make an exception. But uh, I do agree with his thoughts about Sombers and upwards for Leicester overall regarding that result. Yeah, I was going to pick up on Richard's point, actually, if, if you hadn't gone through it. I think... We, we talked about it uh, and when we previewed the Liverpool game at the back end of the last podcast, we said, look, we, we just need to go there and actually give it a go because we have been guilty, as particularly against Manchester United back at the beginning of the season when people thought they might be considered uh, a top half Premier League club. Um, we were guilty of not taking the game to them and sitting and trying not to lose it. And I, under, I I completely appreciate the fact that Liverpool are on a ridiculous winning streak in the Premier League and they, with Manchester City, are the two best teams in the league and will finish first and second in whichever order you like come the end of the season, no question about it. Um, but we were riding on a lot of confidence. We had James Madison back in the team and I think the first half we tried not to lose the game and that's exactly what I didn't want us to do. All right, we were still in the game and and, and that's absolutely fine. You might look at it from that point of view and, and say that, but I, I do think if we're to be taken seriously as a team that wants to finish and can finish in the top six or higher, then there can't be any games where we are reacting to what the opponent may or may not be able to do it's got to be every game has got to be on our terms. And I don't think we really realised that until the second half. Second half performance was a lot better. We were a lot more potent. But I still think we were not quite as daring as we possibly could have been in the final third because although we had a lot of possession and played a lot of nice football in and around the edge of the penalty area, clear shots on goal were very limited and... And I think that is that se- that says that we were five or ten percent more tentative than we would have been against other teams, potentially for fear of being caught on the break. I understand that, but there has to come a point when that final little switch in mentality happens. All right, we've moved now forward from being a counter-attacking team. I think we're much better in possession. We can stamp our authority on games against poor teams who are going to sit in and try and defend, like Newcastle. We exemplified that perfectly with uh, putting five past them. I think that final little switch is to become that top six mentality is to say, no, look, doesn't matter who we're playing. 
we're going to play this game on our terms and go and try and win it, not try and not lose it. So from that, from that point of view, I completely agree with Richard. Um, but it's not a quick fix. And and you have to have some substance to back that up. So come the final third of the season, if we are knocking on that door, if we are still in the position in the league that we're in now, then you would expect to see that mentality happen. But at the moment, we're still really... A lot of people would still say that we're a top half club that has got greater ambitions. So this is a sort of more longer term change. I don't think we'll see it happen instantly. Yeah, I agree. How does that happen, though? How does Leicester move in that direction? Is it just a state of mind when we play? Is it a tactical change? Is it a personnel change? Is it all three added together? How do we go from the side that is unlucky at Liverpool and maybe should have pressed on more against Manchester United at Old Trafford? Is it is it the way that we start? Is it the way that's we react to anything that the opposition do what would what would you do different rob to stamp your authority on these games away at the big clubs i think short term i was pleased to see that we lined up against liverpool and we didn't have ndidi and chowdhury in the midfield i think that is already a more positive step than against manchester united and uh, i really i did think that brendan rodgers might go for Chowdhury and Ndidi as two holding midfielders. So from that point of view, that was already a more positive statement. Um, But I don't actually think that this final little click of mentality will happen until possibly about this time next year after we've finished in the top six. I think we need to finish this season in the top six on merit so that people finally look at us people outside of Leicester that is and people outside of the media who are kind of half jumping on the bandwagon that Brendan Rodgers could be building something good here by tipping us for the top six people have got to see that we get in the top six on merit by beating some very good teams and finishing above some very good teams and being consistent throughout the season then we start next season as a team that should then be finishing in the top six and then you start to move on to establish yourselves as a top six team rather than a top half team. And I think that will be the final little switch in mentality longer term. But as I say, short term, I was pleased to see that we were a little bit more ambitious with our midfield selection against Liverpool on Saturday. I was. I'd, I wonder whether that would be the case as well as we move forward. I was like, I like that fact that Barnes was playing. I like that Pratt retained his place in midfield alongside Tillemans, uh, alongside indeed, should I say, and then Tillemans further forward. The problem with that, though, is that Madison, again, was slightly out wide. You can't really fit Pratt, Tillemans and Madison at the moment in the same side when Madison is playing in a central position unless you're going to move into a more diamond formation when you would have maybe Tillemans one side and Pratt the other. This this is actually how I think at the start of the season that Brendan Rodgers would have liked to have played with a diamond midfield of an anchor in midfield, whether it be Chowdhury or Ndidi, and then have the two, as I say, wider players, but still not incredibly wide as a winger. But on the right or the left of midfield, you have Pratt and also Tillemans. And then as the the figure point of that diamond would be Madison. And then you would have the forwards, etc. 
that's how I think he would hopefully have liked to have played. Maybe have them Perez alongside someone like Vardy. That would work. It doesn't give a lot of width, obviously, but and there's no room for Barnes, but that's one way of playing. And I think I would be surprised if that doesn't happen at some point in the near future as a as an experiment. But I'd, I'd be surprised if that's not being worked on now because it certainly was pre-season and especially at home as well in the uh, pre-season friendly against Atalanta earlier uh, before the season started. Uh, that's one way of looking at it. I, I liked, again, Perez with his uh, with his through ball as well. Any confidence that he can get, great. Any confidence any player can get, fantastic. Uh, there's one player that I'd just like to just talk about for a second, and that's Soyuncu. And we keep on setting these goals for your Soyuncu. He's, he's played so well so far for Leicester, but we keep on giving these targets. Has he done it away at a huge stadium like Old Trafford, has he done it away at one of the top two clubs like Liverpool? Yes, he has. He really has. He's he's now, in my eyes, he's he's ticking every box. He's getting over the hurdles. He's he's making fans believe that he is the player that we've seen so far this season. It's a very easy for a player to have a good start to this season, whether it be a centre forward of the club or maybe a quick start from a newly promoted club and having a player score a few goals or looking quite bright in midfield. And then people to think that they're a confirmed Premier League player and a performer over a long period of time. But Soyuncu, in my eyes, has now got over one or two of those hurdles that people put in front and say, look, get over that first, and then I'll believe. Tick, done that. Get over that. Tick, done that. And I thought he was really good away at Liverpool. The pace that he has uh, looked a, a, a huge asset against one of the paciest, if not the paciest forward line in the Premier League with Mane and Salah. He kept up, if not was in front of them when it came to a sprints behind the bat line. And, uh, and, and yeah, he has to be a, a huge plus point, really, uh, from this game. But, uh, but there we go, that's it. We're still right up there in the Premier League. And what a crazy league it is. You look at Arsenal just winning at home against Bournemouth, Spurs imploding away, at Brighton, uh, Chelsea are going to be dismissing teams when they're on fire, and they're and they're a good-looking side. Chelsea, it was in early days when we played them, and we played very well second half. But you look at the Mounts and Hudson Odoi's and and Abraham's, these these young English players up top, and it's uh, you know it's exciting side, but they're going to slip up occasionally. And Man United are a complete mess, which is quite hilarious all round, really. But. There's room for Leicester in that top six, in that top four conversation at the moment. So I'm not losing a lot of hope against Liverpool. But uh, And we just reset over the next couple of weeks because it's a, an international break, Rob. Yeah, completely agree. Just a quick one on so and Jerry Taggart was not giving him a very pleasant time on LCFC radio, um, which I listened to the game on on Saturday. He thought he was too far away from Johnny Evans for the Mane goal, not on the cover quick enough, um, and was saying that he looked... A little bit stretched. Now he's playing against probably the best front three in the world, so he's going to be a little bit stretched because he's not Superman. Um, but I agree. I think he has really sort of looked assured and not bothered by these big games. Uh, and I don't think his performance was particularly as bad as as Jerry Taggart made out. I thought he was another solid performance for him. Like you say, away at Anfield, the league leaders. Um, and he's in a much better place than Harry Maguire, let's say. I love all the memes that go around on um, on social media from Leicester fans saying, yeah, could be worse. 
could be uh, looking like this. I think a lot of Leicester fans looked on the bright side after after the Liverpool game. But yeah, not losing heart whatsoever. We gave it. We pushed it pretty much as close as you could possibly go against a team that have done nothing but win in the Premier League this season. So lots of positives. Um, international break and then some uh, slightly less talented teams to look forward to playing after it. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about those in a second. But now, let's forget all the for raw about Liverpool or whatever happened at the weekend. Let's get down to the the real story, and that's what's happened in the for fuck's sake fantasy football league. <laughs> Here we go then with the top 10 of the Fox 8 podcast, Fantasy Football League. There's a tremendous side rimming with potential in 10th place. It's Super Frank Sinclair, managed by the wonderful Pete Selby, whoever he is. Uh, dodgy kind of week this week, 35 points. He's on 459. In ninth place, the modern leopard Scott Kersey, who, by the way, is the biggest Burton fan of all time. I know Scott. Uh, he's in ninth place, so we'll get him in the cup. He's on 460 points. Six points further in eighth place, dropping down. It's Scott Neal uh, with his uh, Verisi Militude FC, I think that's right. 466 points. In seventh place, Vini Vidi Vardi, Ben Melbourne, on 470 points. In sixth place is an absolute rotter. It's Rob Hayes with FFS. 481 points in 6th place, Rob. Good week for you. 54 points. Well done. Top 5. Here we go. Joe Healy with the Vardy Annuals. Going down a few places this week. 487 points. In 4th place on 492 points, we've got Matthew Archer, Pedro City. Top 3. Here we go. Into the top 3 newly this week. 495 points. Daniel McCready with Rogers, the cabin boy. And then the top two, as they were from last week, in second, 501 points, Gav Brown with Saigon Foxes, and at the top, Alex Ekonomu with 561 points. He's 60 points clear at the top. He had a good week, 52 points. Video killed the Saudio. Well, less about that name, the better. And uh, both me and yourself, Rob, we're in the top ten. So uh, there we go. Further down, let's just have a look who's bottom. 73 points. Uh, Ollie Wilson, uh, 257 points. Have a look at yourself, man. Have a look in the mirror because my dad is way above you and he's not changed his team for about seven or eight weeks. So uh, there we go with the For Fox 8 Fancy Football League. Rob, go on in. Here's your chance. Rub it in. Uh, if you uh, wanted to look at the stats and see who had the highest weekly points score in the entire league, you would find that it was me with an almighty 54. Not a particularly high scoring week, you've got to, you've got to say, but yeah, I'm, I really didn't expect this. I'm normally awful at fantasy football, whether I change my team or not, but... I've been really, you know, because who, who do you, you think? Know, because we talk about who it. You th- who you thanking? Who am I thanking? You for forcing me. Family to, friends. To, well, no, I'm thanking you for forcing me to take even more care with my fantasy football team than than usual. Because I know that if I don't do my team, then I've got I've got no excuse for slipping down the table. At least if I actually have a go, I can say, yeah, you know what, I'm trying here. Uh, and nobody ever said that me and you knew what we were talking about anyway. Although the fantasy football league at the moment. 
suggests that we do occasionally know a thing or two about this game. Yeah, I mean, you you started off being quite big-headed there, but you reeled it back in just, I think. I think you've just got on the right side of not being over the top. I mean, you know for a fact that if I was in the league, if I was top, I'd be, uh, you know, really just thanking everyone for for joining the league and just wishing everyone good luck and, uh, you know, not bigging up my own side or not giving it the bit. In fact, we wouldn't even probably mention it if I was top. So, uh, But the fact that you're our sixth... uh, (laughs) There we go. Uh, yeah, well done. Uh, we'll carry on that in the next few weeks. Obviously, there's a international break, and it gives Leicester time to regroup and look forward to Burnley at home on Saturday week when we resume in the Premier League. And then they're away on uh, a Friday night to Southampton. Two games which you look forward to, hopefully getting six points from Burnley. They're playing very well, and... They've, they've got pretty much got the same side, haven't they? They've got Barnes and Wood up top, and the midfielders um, are pretty much as they were, and 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 they're playing well. They don't concede many goals. Good goalkeeper in Pope, and um, they're going to be a tough test, a, diff- a different test than what we've had, um, but a test that I I can't see any reason why we can't come out on top um, against Burnley at home. I think most teams would expect to, but you have to give them a lot of respect as well. And then the Southampton game away, again, I don't see any reason why we can't go there and win. It's pretty much the same as you would say Leicester away at Southampton for the last few years. And we've got some good results at Southampton in the last you know, three or four years. So I can't see any reason why we can't get six points from these games. And if we're serious about being top six, top four, etc., these are the games that we need to go and win. And hopefully we've got a fully fit side, depending on players coming back from international football, etc. It's the same for, for Burnley. But I think we can kind of sum these two games up in, in that sense. We've got defenders who can deal with the aerial ball. Um, I can't foresee any change in the side from what we played against Liverpool, which is actually testament to what you said about becoming how we can actually take it to the top side, uh, top teams in the Premier League. And you mentioned that the starting line, it was a sense that one kind of change that we had from the team against Man U. And me backing that up really by saying that I think we should be playing the same side against Burnley. There was no reason why we should against the team who, who beat Newcastle, say 5-0. There's that. And then we play away at Southampton. Again, depending on what happens against Burnley, why not go down there? And take it to them. They're in and out, a dicey side. I can't see any reason why I can't get six points, Rob. No, I can't. Um, strangely, though, the one, the first one's home and the second one's away. I think we've got a better chance of getting all three points away at Southampton. I don't think they're particularly good. Their confidence will be low and their home form is terrible. Um, so I would very much back us to go and out-football them quite easily. Uh, Burnley, like you say, pros a, a different test to most teams in the Premier League they're very honest they do what they do very well uh, and I think there'll be there'll be a test for us at, at the King Power Stadium I think it'll be uh, a test similar to what we were expecting from Newcastle but of a higher level and um, I think if you if you can outplay a team like Burnley and beat them by a couple of goals or three goals that is the sign of a of a team that can that can be in the top six because I think on balance so far this season Burnley are well on course to be um, top half of the Premier League and you know they were they were in the top four at the close of play on Saturday obviously a lot of teams played Sunday this weekend but 
you know, they've had a good start to the season. Uh, they'll be confident. They've got um, strikers that know how to put it about, but also know how to put it in the back of the net. So if we do get six points, then the, then that will mean that we'll have got three against Burnley. And that, I think, will be a testament to the progression of this Leicester side because to try and outplay Burnley and outscore them by sort of playing football really would be um would be would be a positive because Brendan Rodgers I think one of the only games he lost or one of the games that stands out for me that he lost at the back end of last season was was Newcastle because we just didn't look like we knew how to play through them we've we've passed the test against a team that are going to finish in the bottom quarter of the Premier League now it's time to pass the test against a similar yet more effective team that will finish probably in the top half. So if we beat Burnley, then yeah, we'll absolutely go on and get six points because I can't see Southampton causing us any trouble whatsoever. Yep, I'm going to go four, and this is when we come to prediction time. Um, I tell you what, we'll give we'll give both predictions now because I'd imagine we'll do a... In fact, actually, um, we could do a podcast next week. I'm just saying I am away next week, but uh, we can do one because it's in the UK, so uh, it will be fine. I'll take the stuff with me and etc. It'll be fine. Um I'm going to go for a 2-1 narrow home win. I'm going to echo your thoughts, actually. I'm going to go 2-1 Leicester-Burnley. I'm going to go 3-1 Leicester-Southampton. I'd have said the same for the Burnley game. I think we'll win it... Well, I hope we'll win it 2-1. Uh, I'm going to back us for a clean sheet away at Southampton and uh, a hat full of goals as well. I'm going to say 3-0. Lovely old job. That's what we want to hear. So that's our positive thoughts at the end. Um, possible apology for the rant at the beginning, but... Actually, no, that's just the way it is, isn't it? That's the podcast, that's what we do. Um, So there we go. That's the end of the podcast in a... uh, It's one of them games that you look back over the next few years and and, and you probably look back on with a bit of a wry smile, really, like we do with the game away at uh, Arsenal we mentioned early on and other games. It happens in football, doesn't it? In the next few weeks, something else will happen and we'll move on and we'll move on. Hopefully, the ramifications that we mentioned earlier on in the podcast don't linger and get ruled out very, very quickly and don't happen again. That's what we all want to see, not just at Leicester, but also elsewhere in football. If you want to get in contact with the podcast, the best way to do it is via Twitter at FFSPod for Fox 8 Podcast. Also on Facebook, where you can just type in for Fox 8 Podcast and it will come up and you just basically click like and follow, no problem there. Uh, for fox8podcast at gmail.com is the email address. If you want to email us, you can do. Again, you can email us and comment on anything at all, whether we've gone too far, whether we've not gone far enough, whether any questions you want ans- answering. or And if you do want a question answered and you don't want your name read out, not a problem. Just write it on the email or, or tweet. Not a problem. Any comments regarding the podcast whatsoever, send it through. Any questions about what we do as a job at the King Power or elsewhere, Again, just ask, not a problem. Uh, do get in contact. Uh, we're hopefully here every week with the podcast. And also, and we never ask this, we never do, um, tell your mates, share it around. You know, we've got a good, good, solid listenership. You know, we enjoy doing the podcast, myself and Rob. And uh, and we've met people from all around the world, actually, who listen to the podcast um, in various different places. You know who you are. And uh, and it's and that's been brilliant. But just just pass the word on. You know, you can spread it on social media or whatever and say, take a listen to these two idiots. And, uh, you know, it's fairly entertaining. But, uh, yeah, give us a follow. Give us a shout out. Give us a retweet and all that sort of thing. 
And if you so desire, you can always give us a rating and comment because that's what a lot of people say on other podcasts. Give us a rating and comment. We are on Apple Podcasts, which used to be called iTunes. You can follow us on there. Anyway, everyone relax, have a drink and enjoy the international break. We'll be back, fingers crossed for the city. And as always, up the city. <laughs>